All right, we're going to continue our series in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. John chapter 5. Uh, we've made it. We've made it to chapter 5. We're on our way. Woo! So here we go. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Uh, one, one, of, uh, one of the great Disney stories is Peter Pan. And uh, Peter Pan's this great story of adventure of, with uh, flying and pirates and uh, alligators chomping off pirate hands and, and uh, um, you know, fairies and living in the woods with your, with your homies and, um, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, just full of adventure and sword fighting and all the, all the rest. But in the end of Peter Pan, what you really see is that it's about a boy who does not want to listen, who doesn't want to submit to authority. He doesn't like authority. He doesn't want a mom or a dad or anyone else telling him what to do. He wants to be a kid forever, to live under his own rule. And I think like Peter Pan, all of us naturally resist authority. All of us naturally uh, don't want to play by the rules. We, we want to be the master of our own domains. We we don't want anyone questioning our decisions. We don't want judgment when we decide what we're going to do with our life and the things that we will do. And not only that, but I think we think, you know what? I alone know what's best for me. I alone know what I need and what I want. Think about this. Think about how often it is we come to the Bible and the Bible says something we disagree with or we don't like or we don't necessarily believe. And instead of us coming to the Bible and saying, Ugh, I, didn't, I don't like this, I don't believe this, but, I, but, but this is what God says, so I submit myself to the Bible, and I change. Instead of doing that, we often go, oh, it can't mean that. No, sure, it don't mean that thing. Surely it doesn't mean that, because I don't believe that, and, and the God I believe in wouldn't say that. And so we twist the scriptures and make them say what we want to say. And so instead of submitting to the voice of Christ, instead we submit to our own voice and our own authority. This morning we must see that the only way to find true freedom, to find life, it's not being our own masters, but submitting to the Lord. So let's read our text. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The words of our God, written by the apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say this. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is unlawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know 
it was who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. So last week we saw Jesus was up in Samaria. There was this revival breaking out. All of these people were coming to him in droves. People were believing and accepting him and and wanting to hear what he had to say. And then Jesus leaves Samaria. He goes down to his hometown in which everyone is welcoming him, but really they're only interested in the miracles Jesus was performing, not really who he was. And now we find Jesus going to the heart of Israel, to the capital city where the temple was in Jerusalem. And John tells us more than that, he actually goes to the sheep gate where there is this pool, a pool in Aramaic known by the name of Bethesda. And laying all around this pool were invalids. Now, growing up, I didn't use the word invalid. I didn't know what an invalid was. I didn't actually know what an invalid was until I got married. Because after I got married, I'd be sick and, you know, I'd be all laid up in the bed, all have, you know, my head hurts, my belly hurts, whatever. And honey, can you make me some soup? And she'd come in there and feel my forehead. She'd, have you thrown up? No, you're not sick. You're, stop acting like an invalid. <laughs> and, and that's when I learned what an invalid was. I didn't know what that was, but, but, but I, apparently I act like one all the time. <sighs> that's true. Amen, men. Just need some soup and some love. So all around this pool are all these people scattered all around. They're all just laid up. Like think about a bunch of homeless people looking sick, broken people all laying around this pool. They've got leprosy. Some of them are paralyzed. They're all laying around this pool. These are the types of people that I was talking about last week that everyone avoided. They're outcasts. No one wanted to be around them, right? They're sick. Some of them got leprosy. Some of them are contagious. They just look gross. So everyone left them alone. It's so all these people just piled up in this one area around this pool. And so now in walks Jesus. And he's walking through this area and he meets this particular man. This man is laying here by the pool. And Jesus knew that this man had been laying there a long time. The text tells us that he had been laying there for 38 years. That's older than I am. I know that I'm not very old, but that's older than me. So this dude had been laying there a long time. He'd been laying there for 38 years, and Jesus meets him. He walks in, and he asks him one question. He says to him, Do you want to be healed? Now, you would think this guy would say, yes, that'd be great. Can you do that? Can you make that happen for me? You would think this guy would be excited about that. You'd you'd think he would say, you know what? I've talked to doctors, and I've taken medicine, and and I've prayed, and I've done this, and I've done that, and none of it's worked. Can you heal me? Do you have something for me? But that's not what the man says. And it's not even that he's doubting Jesus or his ability or, or anything about that. It's not even that. But rather, this man 
does desperately want to be healed. That's why he's actually where he is. But he thinks that his only solution, his only hope to his problem to be healed is in the pool, in the pool of Bethesda. His hope is so locked on to this pool that if he could just get into the water, he'd be healed. It's so locked on that he misses Jesus. We know this because in verse 7, in response to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, the guy says, I have no one to put me into the pool. So, so Jesus says, hey, do you want to be healed? And he says, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, I'm trying to get into it, another steps down in front of me. You see, there was this belief at the time that an angel would come down and stir the water. And when the water was stirred, whoever was in, got into the pool first would be healed. And this man says, for 38 years I've been trying to get in first, but every time I do, someone jumps in front of me. You see, nowhere... In the Bible, does God ever say, hey, here's this supernatural hot tub that if you get in it, you'll be healed? There's never any time, here's a healing jacuzzi that when it bubbles up, if you get in it, you'll be healed. God has never said this. And so what we see is that there is this superstition that has come up through this culture for whatever reason. And you'll notice if your Bible, this is interesting, fun fact, if you look in your Bibles, you might notice that there's not a verse 4 in the early manuscripts that wasn't in there and so they take it out but if you look in your footnotes at the bottom you'll see verse four actually I think that what they did is they went back and described what this pool was they believed that when an angel stirred the water they could get in it and be healed and so we see that there's this cultural superstition and so this man this this invalid this who's probably paralyzed can't walk he does not realize the hope that he's so longed for to be healed is right in front of his eyes. It's right there. It's talking to him because his hope is so locked onto something else. His hope is locked onto the pool. And so Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed and, and his reaction is, yes, put me in the pool. He's basically saying, yeah, Jesus, can you pick me up and toss me in the pool when it starts bubbling? Isn't it amazing that his true hope could be right in front of his face and yet you believe a silly tale, a superstition about being healed in the water of the pool. Actually, I don't think it's very silly at all. I think, in fact, every one of us in some way or another think the same thing. How often do we seek to be healed, to be made whole, to be completed, to be filled, to be satisfied by something other than Jesus? You see, instead of us coming and submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, saying, Jesus, you're God and you're my king and whatever you say, I'll do it because I know if you say it and I, that it is the words of life and blessing and peace and contentment and joy. If you say it, joy will come from it if I do it. And so whatever you say, you're Lord, I'll do. Instead of that, we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, we really like you being our savior. We really like forgiveness and all that stuff, but but, I don't, but, but when it comes to submitting and doing what you say, I have a harder time. We like to do things our own way because deep down we think we know what we need. Like this sick man who thought he knew what he needed. I just need to be in the pool. If I could just get into the pool, I'll be healed. We do the same thing. 
We lock in our hope on all these things around us. And while Jesus is jumping up and down, waving his hand, saying, look at me. I'm right here. Come to me. Look to me. Satisfaction's in me. We go, Jesus, can you get out of the way a little bit? I'm trying to get that new truck. Jesus says to us, hey, if you want to be blessed, you must give up everything. And we say, okay. How much is that? How can I get that loan to get that new car? Jesus says, if you, if you want to be blessed, you need to forgive your, your enemies and forgive those who curse you. And we say, okay. But actually, they hurt me really, really bad. And so what I'm actually going to do is let this thing fester, and I'm going to grow bitter and angry, and then I'm going to blow up on Facebook about it because that's going to make me feel better. Jesus says to us, hey, go make disciples because when you pour yourself out and serve others and share the gospel and see people come to faith, it will give you a, a joy that, you, that nothing else can. And we say, okay. But you know what? I think I'll just be a really good person in front of my coworkers, and I won't cuss or drink in front of them, and, and they'll get the picture. Jesus says, flee sexual immorality because it's going to destroy you. And we say, okay, but I just need to look at that website one more time. You see, like the sick man, we believe that the thing around Jesus, if Jesus would get out of our way and we can get this other thing, then we'll be healed and we'll be made whole. If I can just get that job, that promotion, that spouse, if I can just get married, just have a kid, just get people to think I'm pretty, if I just get these kids to listen to me and give me a moment of quiet, amen? You see, we really like the idea of Jesus being our Savior. But submitting to him as Lord is a whole other thing. We like the forgiveness thing. We like the love thing. We like the mercy thing. But submitting to Jesus' ways, laying down our deep-seated belief about what we should do with our lives and instead do exactly what Jesus wants to do in our lives, we're not so sure about that. Yeah, Jesus, you rock. I love you. Thank you for saving me. I love the forgiveness thing. Man, that's so cool. But hey, yeah, Jesus, actually, I gotta run. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. I just don't have time right now. I'll get to it. I promise, Jesus. But, you know, I, I'll see you next Sunday. The sick man is blinded by his belief that his only hope is in the pool. And so he misses that God has come to meet him and heal him. But I just want you to notice the kindness of God. That even though this man misses Jesus, Jesus in his kindness looks at him and he says, take up your bed and walk. Take up your bed and walk. And just like that, the man was healed. He got up, he took his bed, and he walked away. For 38 years, he was trying to be made whole and to be healed through some superstition, through something else. And in a moment, Jesus shows up and completely heals him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you recognize me, I'll heal you. He doesn't say, if you believe in me, I'll heal you. He doesn't ask anything of this man. He heals him completely by grace. Like, So what is Jesus doing here? We don't see this man come to faith. We don't see him come to salvation. There's no life change. It's just a healing. See, I think the miracles of Jesus are often, he's often showing us something. I think he's often showing us, here is what my kingdom looks like. My kingdom has no wheelchairs. My kingdom has no radiation procedures. My kingdom has no chemo. My kingdom has no open heart surgeries. 
my kingdom doesn't even have Tylenol. Because in my kingdom, there are no heart conditions, there is no cancer, there is no busted knee, there is no inability to walk. In my kingdom, everyone is made whole. I think he's showing us that, listen, man, this whole world is broken. And there's coming a day when just like I made this guy get up and walk, so will I fix everything else. And here is a little taste of what is coming. He comes and he pushes back the curse of sin, reversing the fall, reversing what happened in Genesis 3. He's going to come to heal it all. See, Jesus comes proclaiming that he is Lord over sickness, that there is no sickness beyond his ability to heal. He came to heal the whole world. And we believe this, right? Like, we believe that in a moment God can flex his glory and his power and heal. Now, we don't believe that I have the power for you to walk up and say, have you got enough faith and smack you over the head and heal you? We don't believe that. But we do believe, like on Wednesday night, we had a dear sister come up in our Bible study We prayed over her. We laid hands on her and we prayed that God would heal her cancer because we believe that he can do it. Because we believe that she might go back to the doctor and they go, we don't see the cancer anymore. This doesn't make sense. We've seen that happen. We know that God can do that. Or we believe that God can take some chemo, take a surgery, and he can just fix it. But what we also believe is that if he chooses not to do it, he's still good. And if he chooses not to do it, that one day, God is going to raise us from the dead. And when he does, you get to run, and that knee won't hurt anymore. You'll get to run, and that hip won't hurt anymore. And you're not going to be up in the clouds, up in the sky, up in some ethereal heaven, but you're going to be raised from the dead on this earth that is made whole and made new. And when Jesus comes healing, he is showing what his kingdom looks like. He's come to heal the whole world. But not only that, not only does he come to heal this man's legs and make him walk, but you see, this man had a deeper issue. See, later on in the, in the story, this, Jesus finds the man again in verse 14, and, and here's what Jesus says to him. He says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. See, Jesus healed his physical body, but there was a deeper problem that still needed fixing. Like you and me, this man sinned. He had a sin problem, a problem that separated him from God, a sin problem that was going to land him in an eternal hell, separated from God and everything that is good forever. And Jesus exposes that problem to this man by this command. He says, go and sin no more. You see, that is an impossible command for us to obey. That is an impossible command for us. No one in this room, if, even if you started right now, could live the rest of your life without sinning. We're just too messed up. Not one of us, not the best person could ever do it. And this man's response should have been, Jesus, I know that you are Lord because you healed me. And I can't go and sin no more. So Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what his response should have been. And that's what our response should be. Jesus, we know you're Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus is able to heal broken bodies. And we believe he can do that. And we pray that. But our greatest problem, our greatest need is not that he would heal our broken bodies right now, but instead that he would heal our broken souls and broken hearts. We can't go and sin no more. We will sin and we will fail again and again. 
But Jesus has come to make all of you new. He's come to make your mind new, your heart new, your soul new, your body new. And he will forgive you again and again and again. But see, this man doesn't respond like that. He doesn't say, Jesus, I can't do that. Forgive me, a sinner. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes and tattletales on Jesus. He goes and finds the Jews that are upset, and he tattletales. Here's the man that healed me. See, because after, back up in the story a little bit, when Jesus healed the man, the man is walking away, he's got his bed, and he runs into these Jewish leadership Pharisee type people. And, and how do you think these men reacted when they see this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, laying at a pool, finally healed and made whole? And not like kind of healed, the word is made whole. Not like his legs work now, but they're kind of like, you know, what's it called? I need a doctor. What's it called? Atrophied. They're not all atrophied. They're made whole, the muscle's big, and he's walking like all's good. And when these, fair, when these religious Jews see him, how do they react? Do they go, oh my gosh, praise God, this is amazing, it's a miracle. Who did this? We gotta praise God, we gotta thank him. Do they say, oh my gosh, we can't believe it, this is such good news. No, they don't do that. They see the work of God, see this man healed, and what is their immediate response? It is unlawful for you to be taking up your bed today. It's the Sabbath. Instead of rejoicing that God had healed this man, they were upset. They were upset because it was Saturday, and Saturday was their Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a rule, and you can't break rules because rules are made, and we got to follow the rules, and they're upset with this guy for carrying his bed, and they're upset for whoever this man is who healed him. You see, in their minds, they would have said, Jesus, you can heal him, but you got to wait till tomorrow. You can't do it today. Is it not revealing of their hearts that God could do a miracle? That someone could be healed and instead of being happy and excited and glad, they were angered and upset that someone broke their rules. They don't even mention the miracle. They don't even see the work of God. They don't care about this man. All they care about is that Jesus didn't do it the way they thought it ought to be done. All they cared about was that this guy wasn't doing it the way they thought it ought to be done. Now let's be clear about something. God made a rule in the Old Testament that we're just to keep the Sabbath holy. But that's all he says. He doesn't give any further detail. And so what happened was over the years, these Jewish leaders began to interpret this for everyone. What does it mean to rest on the Sabbath and keep it holy? They began to tell everyone, well, this is what it means to work and this is what it means to rest. And they went so far as to even say, here are the number of steps you are allowed to take on the Sabbath. And they made all of these rules. And so it wasn't actually God's rules, it was man's tradition. Jesus healing this man. They are upset because Jesus is undermining their traditions and their beliefs, not the scriptures, but the way they understand them. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever missed the good that God was doing because you are not a fan of the means by which it happened? Have you ever missed the good that God was doing because you didn't like how it was done? Have you ever been robbed of joy of God moving in a church because the way it happened was not the way you thought it should have been done? Because I know I have. 
I know that I have acted foolishly like these Jewish leaders. I know that I have been critical of the way churches have done things. I know that I sometimes judge too harshly and too quickly. And do you know what that did to me? It made my heart hard. And I missed out on sharing in the joy of what God was doing in others because it's not the way I would have liked it to be done or not the way that I thought it ought to be done. And it takes a long time for the Lord to begin to soften your heart to see that my way of doing things is not the only way or even the best way, it's just a way. And what matters is that being faithful to the scripture, we love God and we serve people. We love God and we love people. We get them the gospel, we grow them to maturity in Christ and we send them out to do the same. You see, I wonder, what it would look like if we cared the most about loving God and loving people and we were not so concerned with our preference of how that was done. What if we were like this? People before preference. People before tradition. People before me. Think of the unity we would have. Think of the love that would be felt and think of the people we could reach. So here's this man. He's been healed by Jesus, and Jesus tells him to go sin no more, and he runs off and tattletales and tells these Jews. And so the Bible says these Jews go find Jesus, and they start persecuting him. We don't know exactly what they do to him, but they're doing something. They're getting on to Jesus. They don't like it because he healed this man on Saturday. And here's what Jesus has to say to these men who don't like the way he did it because it wasn't according to their traditions and their rules. Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I am working. So they're upset because they think Jesus has broken the law of God, and he says, my father, God, is working right now. And because my father is working, I am working. And when they heard this, they were ticked. They were enraged because now Jesus is claiming to be equal with God and working in the same way that God is working. And while they're angry that Jesus has undermined their traditions, that he's done exactly what they think shouldn't be done, not only that, but he has claimed to be something, claimed to be God, in which they thought was heresy and wrong. And because they are enraged at their own breaking of their own rules, they miss the beautiful thing Jesus was telling them. When he says, my father is working and I am working, do you know what that means? Remember back in Genesis when the Sabbath gets modeled for us. God creates the world in how many days? Six days, and on the seventh day he, now did God rest because he was tired? No. Did God rest because he needed a break? No. He rested because his work was done. He rested because his work was completed and made perfect. He rested so that he might glory and delight in the thing that he had made. And so catch this, if Jesus is saying that God is working now and that he is working, it is a reminder to them, it's telling them that the world that God had made that he said was good and he's rested from his work, he's completed, it's saying that that work is now unfinished, that the world is broken and now God has had to get up off of his, out of his seat, he's had to stop resting and begin to work again. 
He's had to begin to fix the things that were broken. He's no longer resting, but he is putting the world back together piece by piece. See, these Jews hear the voice of God telling them that he is working and he is redeeming and he is fixing the world, but instead of hearing and submitting to the voice of God, they dismiss it, they refute it, they ignore it. And the final verse says, and after hearing this, they sought to kill him all the more. You see, the way we know Jesus as Lord is because these Jews would one day here soon succeed in that mission. They would find a way to have Jesus killed. But wouldn't you know that that was exactly Jesus' plan? That they could not outsmart him, that they could not stop what he had come to do because It was his plan. Because the only way, do you know the only way that God can fix the curse in this world? Fix the darkness and the curse of sin that has broken everything? Do you know the only way he can fix it? Is if he takes the curse upon himself. And in so defeating that curse, he might once again look at his creation and say, it is good. So that he could do more than just say, take up your mat and walk. He could say, your sins are forgiven. You are a child of God, and today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus is Lord over sickness. He's Lord of the Sabbath because he is Lord over all. And now, because Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, his work is completed. He said it it is finished, and then he sits down at the right hand of God resting from his work. And now all of history is on a trajectory of being made new, little by little. Because the voice of Jesus gives life. And if the voice of Jesus gives life, then we should listen and obey what he says. Because no matter how hard his commands might seem, no matter how much we want to do things our own way and say, you know what, I'd really would rather do this. I don't want to sell everything I have. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to be obedient in that. It's too hard. The Lord simply wants us to stop looking to foolish things like this pool of Bethesda. To stop looking at cars and money and relationships and careers or whatever you think will heal you and to start looking at him because he's the only source of life. And isn't it ironic, church? That we so often say, you know what, we're willing to give up everything for Christ until he asks us to give up something. We say we're willing to give it up until he asks or asks us to change or asks us to wait or asks us to do it another way. Then we're not so sure Jesus is right in what he's asking us. It seems extreme. It seems hard. It seems not fun. But in reality, Following Jesus' commands are hard because we have been conformed into the image of this world. And they are hard because he is unconforming us into that and conforming us into the image of himself. And that's painful and hard and it hurts. So, let us not be like the sick man who did not submit in faith to the king that stood before him. Let us not be like these Jews who refuse to submit to the words of Christ and obey. Let us not be like Peter Pan, who wants to live by his own rules and do things in his own way with no authority forever. Instead, let us grow into full maturity in Christ, which means 
laying down our preferences, laying down our desires, laying down our wants and our lives before the feet of our great God and King and say, command me, O King, wherever you lead, I'll go. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our good and gracious King. But so often, we only want you to be Savior. We just want the things that you have to offer us. We want the perks. We want to be healed. We want forgiveness. But when you command us, we don't necessarily want to listen. We want the thing in the pool. We want, we want this other thing that we think would heal us. And, and what you tell us to do seems hard. And we don't want to do that because it takes work and it, it, it takes a chunk out of me. It, it, it takes energy from me. It, it hurts me. It's hard. But God, would you help us to see that the reason you ask us to do these things are not because you, you are trying to hurt us, but because you are trying to give us life the way it was always meant to be, trying to give us true joy and satisfaction. So God, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who's never trusted in you, who, who has maybe done religious stuff or believed that there was a God but has never seen you as the king and the Lord who needs to be Lord of their life, who they need to bow their knees to and say, you are my king, all that I have is yours. Tell me what to do with it. God, this morning, would you help them to come? There's men on the sides up here and I'll be up front. We would love to pray with you. We would love to just hug your neck. If, you, if you're here this morning, let me say this. If you're here this morning and you are sick, if you are hurt, if you are injured, we believe God heals. I don't have that power. No one in this church does, but God does. And we would love to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning, you got cancer, you have a loved one who's got cancer, or you got a loved one who's got a heart problem, you got a loved one who's, who's, who's got something going on, would you come up this morning and just let us pray? for them that God might flex his glory and power and bring healing. Just pray over you this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, Lord, I pray that you would come and find out because your life will never be the same. And you've been missing out on all that God has to offer because you've been looking at a pool your whole life thinking that there is something over there. If I just get that thing, I'll be happy.